Thanks for your interest in Emmanuel Baptist. Here at Emmanuel, we believe in the one and only authoritative text for guidance, the Holy Bible. We pray that this sermon will speak to your heart and open your eyes to the glory of God. Make sure you plug into your local church and get to know others that love the Holy Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, just like you. Thanks again, and God bless you guys. Christian humorist Dennis Swanberg. Are you familiar with Dennis Swanberg? He's uh, been around for a long time. He's about my age. Dennis Swanberg loves to tell a story of an unforgettable baptism that took place in a little West Texas church. They were building a new sanctuary, and it's almost finished. New baptistry was functional, even though the changing rooms behind the baptistry weren't quite available. The pastor was so excited about the new building, he, he planned a baptism in the new baptistry. And since the changing rooms didn't have walls yet, they hung up sheets so those being baptized could change. Since they didn't have any pews yet, they put up folding chairs in the new sanctuary. And he was just excited to have a baptism there in that new church. Everything went well until the last person to be baptized made her way down into the water. This lady was terrified of water, but she had been assured there was no reason for concern. But, you know where this is going, she panicked those final seconds before being lured into the water, and she started clawing for everything she could claw for, and she eventually clawed the rope that was holding up the sheet behind the baptistry and pulled it down. Having just stepped on the baptistry, there stood a man wearing nothing but his underwear. Realizing something dreadful was wrong, he turned around only to see the entire congregation gasping at him in embarrassed astonishment. Assessing the situation quickly, he did the only sensible thing. He dived into the baptistry with the preacher and the panic-stricken woman. Dennis likes to say, they just dismissed the service after that. Now, why am I telling this story? I just read a horrifying vision or beginning of a vision of Daniel. Here is a humorous story of Dennis Swanberg. So what's the point of the story? Well, in Daniel 10, the curtain is pulled aside a little bit, and we're able to see things we've never seen before as it relates to the unseen cosmic battle. Let's look at our text as we want to step through these 21 verses for a few moments and then unpack it a little bit. So in verse 1, when the vision occurred, it was in the third year of Cyrus's rule. Now, remember Cyrus, he's now the king. He's from the Medes and the Persians. They defeated the Babylonians. So Daniel's an older man. This is the third year. The 70 years are over of the captivity. Of the, and there's been already one group have gone now to the promised land, a small group. Really, I think if you ask Daniel, a disappointing group. Not very many people went back to the promised land. There are three uh, groups of people went back to the promised land, and this is the first has happened by this point. But I think Daniel's disappointed that they wasn't there. And I think that's the, the, the great conflict he's talking about here in, in verse 1. Uh, Ezra 4, chapter 4, talks about this. I think he's discouraged. In verses 2 and 3, we, we see him kind of semi-fasting. He said he ate no delicacies, no meat or wine in his mouth. I didn't anoint myself for full three weeks. Uh, so he was kind of mourning, it says in verse 2, a kind of a semi-fast. He, he, he's discouraged. And, and maybe he's doing this to seek further understanding of the future that's awaiting his people. 
They've gone back to this devastated temple's not there, Jerusalem's destroyed, it's just a, a laid waste. And he's saying, I wonder what the future holds for my people. They're going back to the Holy Land. And he's disturbed by the reports he's been receiving back from the Holy Land. Things weren't going well. And it drives him to his prayer closet. We'll look at some other verses in a second, but jump to verse 12 for a second. We're going to read all that in just a minute. This man said, then he said to me in verse 12, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard and have come because of your words. Let me just stop there for a second. I want to say that. I mean, let me say, first of all, based upon really verse 12, your prayers matter. If nothing else, hear that today. Your prayers matter. Somehow, God has ordained to work through the prayers of his people. Now, to be honest with you, I don't understand that. But it seems what he does. Now, God can do what he wants to do. He can do it without us. We don't have to pray. He can just do things. But God, somehow, in his infinite wisdom and his sovereignty, he wants his people to pray, and then he wants to work through our prayers. I heard your prayers. And I have come, and I'm going to do this because of your prayers that I have heard. Let's go back to verses 4 through 6. We just see this vision of a man he sees here. Uh, he sees this in verse 5. I lift up my eyes and look, behold, a man clothed in linen and a belt of fine gold around his waist. And his body was like barrels, face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. That just reminds me of the cosmic Christ in Revelation chapter 1, the picture that John sees of Jesus. And very similar to this. It's, it's almost, I hate to use the word horrifying, but it's awesome. I don't mean awesome like, yay, but awesome like, oh, no. Uh, it's very fearful. So he, he has this experience in verse 7, and I, Daniel, saw alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. And that reminds me of the Damascus Road experience Apostle Paul had. Paul heard something, and it's different accounts in the book of Acts, three different accounts of Paul's experience, and, and they'd always say the exact same thing, but apparently the men with Paul traveling to Damascus heard something, whether it's thunder or whether it's words, I'm not sure, but they didn't understand what was going on. And Paul heard the voice of Jesus directly to him, but they all were frightened. They all fell down, fell off the horses, if you will. And in verses 8 and 9, uh, Daniel's response to this is strength is gone. Uh, he fell on his face with a deep sleep. I tell you, every time I, I see angels in particular, but here this is a, a picture of Jesus, comes, men and women are frightened. And they always, you know this, every time an angel appears on the scene, the first thing the angel says is what? Fear not. Don't be afraid. That's the first thing they all say. They must be pretty frightening. Uh, apparently these angels aren't like the... Uh, Victorian angels, little cherubs and little cute little faces, you know, wings, or very feminine with big wings protecting people. Okay, those are nice pictures, but I don't know what angels look like, but they're probably pretty frightening. They always say, fear not. Um, let's look at verses uh, 10 through um, 14 first to make some comments. Verse 10, and behold, a hand touched me, he said, and set me trembling on my hands and knees. 
And they said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved. There it is again. Understand the words I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for the first day you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. Your words have been heard and have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. And I came to make you understand what is, what is to happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is for the days yet to come. Well, let's, let's unpack this for a second, man. Uh, again, this, we saw in a previous chapter that Daniel is called one who is greatly loved. Now, I'm sure God did love Daniel. He loves you and me too. Uh, but he says this to Daniel. And this angel says, I was sent to you because of your prayers. You are deeply loved and you prayed. In response to your prayers, I've been here. Now, I should have come 21 days ago, but I was prevented from coming. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? The prince of the kingdom of Persia kind of stopped me from coming. And I had to call on Michael. Michael, we see in the scriptures, is an archangel, uh, one of the top layers, maybe the top angel. But he's one of just a couple that are named in scripture. Gabriel's another one. So this angel here had to call upon the chief angel, a chief prince, to come. And why did he come? To make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. Daniel is concerned about this group of people, group of Jews from Babylon, going back to the promised land, back to Judea, back to Jerusalem. And he's heard some negative reports or discouraging reports, and he is concerned, what is, does the future hold for my people? I'm praying about this, and the angel says, I've come to let, make you understand what is going to happen in the latter days with your people. Let's look at verses 15 and following. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. Behold, one of the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. I then opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me and said, O man, greatly love, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. As he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you not know why I've come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who controls by my side against these except Michael, your prince. Wow. So he has come in response to Daniel's prayer. And here, see, Daniel has, has lost strength again. But he's touched by this being and regained strength. But this man said, I've got to go back and fight again. This prince of Persia. And then later on, the prince of Greece. And he talks about this book of truth. I wonder if the book of truth is about the history to come. What's coming up? Frightening, frightening uh, vision. At least Daniel thought it was frightening. He didn't know what was going on. He, he, he's concerned. Uh, he does receive strength. So what in the world is going on here? What in the world is going on here? 
Well, we, let me just give a, a brief review of what we've done so far. Of course, chapters 1 through 6 of Daniel are some episodes, some stories, some events that happened. And we have seen those and learned from those. And chapters 7 through 12 is apocalyptic. These are visions. And in chapter 7, we had this vision, Daniel's vision of the four beasts, these four different kingdoms. In chapter 8, the vision of two beasts, the ram and the goat. That was the Medes and the Persians and the Greeks. And then chapter 9, we saw last week about Daniel's prayer for his people. And then chapters 10 through 12 is, is really one block. It's really the third and final vision of Daniel. Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 10 through 12. This is the third vision. And chapter 10 is really the introduction to the vision. Daniel said, I've got this vision. Now, he's going to explain it. Next week, we'll see what the vision is, a vision of the kings, vision of the future. So that's next week, the, 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 uh, the vision proper, if you will. And then in chapter 12, the last one in two weeks, is a time of the end. And we'll unpack that. So really 10, 11, and 12 go together as one vision. So what is the point of chapter 10? What is the point of chapter 10? This is the point. A battle is going on that we can't see. An unseen cosmic battle. A battle is going on even now in Daniel's day and in today. A battle is going on that we can't see an unseen cosmic battle. As we read chapter 10 here and all throughout Scripture in different places, we see supernatural beings in conflict. In chapter 10, we see this terrifying man, much like, as I said, Revelation 1, picture of Jesus. And we see this princess of Persia and Greece, and I think if you read it, he's not talking about the king, a human. He's talking about something, somebody else, uh, a, a spiritual being, it seems to me, this prince of Persia, this prince of Greece. And we hear about Michael. Uh, uh, we see later on in different places he's considered an archangel, uh, Michael. So we have these, these supernatural beings, these invisible beings to our eyes, unless they reveal themselves to us, uh, here in conflict. And you guys are all Bible scholars. I know, I've heard you guys discuss the scriptures, but all throughout the Bible, you know the Bible speaks of unseen spiritual world. A spiritual world out there we can't see. I, I think that, that's, that's the uh, deficiency of a naturalistic worldview. Uh, a naturalistic worldview is that the only thing that exists is what we can see and touch, the nature, the cosmos. And I think it's just so deficient, you're, you're, you're missing out on so much of reality and we as Christians, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe there's something beyond the physical. There's a spiritual world out there. And I think we all, that's not, that's not any news to you guys. But there is a spiritual world that we can't see. And the Bible talks about this over and over and over again. Sometimes the uh, curtain is parted just a little bit so you can see. It's kind of like when you're in a theatrical play and the curtain's closed and you usually don't see what happens behind the curtain, between acts or between scenes perhaps. And, and if you didn't know better, you, you never realize what the curtain was closed. The, the props are brought out, the scenery is changed, the actors take their positions all behind the curtain. And then the curtain comes up and you, and you see what's happening. But every once in a while, someone slips up and the curtain's accidentally drawn, maybe up all the way or just a little bit. And you can see what's taking place behind the scenes. That, in essence, what God is doing here. 
He's drawing back the curtain a little bit so you can see what ordinarily you would not be able to see. They will see this unseen battle, cosmic battle. Now we're seeing angels here, and, and angels are mentioned over 300 times in the Bible. Remember, angels, three angels came to Abraham as they get ready to bring uh, judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Balaam's donkey in Numbers 22, as Balaam was riding him, and Balaam's donkey saw an angel that Balaam didn't see. He wouldn't go. And when he got hit, and of course then the donkey spoke to uh, Balaam. But so the donkey saw this angel. And then this is a fascinating passage I want you to turn to about Elijah's servant in 2 Kings chapter 6. Would you turn there, please? 2 Kings. If you can't find 2 Kings, it's right after 1 Kings and before the Chronicles. Uh, it's between Samuel's, 1st, 2nd Samuel and 1st, 2nd Chronicles. 1st, 2nd Kings is in the middle of that. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. Of course, this is the time of the kings of Judah and uh, Israel. Let's, uh, let's pick up verse 8, chapter 2 Kings 6, verse 8. You there? Great. The writer of 2 Kings writes, Once when the king of Syria, that's up north, was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware what you do not pass this place. The Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel, this is the northern king of Israel, sent to the place to which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him so that he saved himself. There was no, uh, there more than once or twice. Here we go. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? For the enemy. And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dotham. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by at night and surrounded the city. Are you with me so far? The king is making plans to attack Israel, but Israel's king knows about it because Elijah's telling him what's going on, as if he was in the bedroom. Well, the king of Syria now is going, I'm going to get this Elijah guy. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to surround him. I'm, I'm, I'm taking a large, a great army. They didn't say large, a great army. Verse 15. Then the servant of the man of God, the servant of Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out. Behold, an army with horses and chariots all around the city and the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? This, this, this is our last day. That's what he's saying. He said, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Okay. Verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man. He saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Assyrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Wow. You, you see that? So this guy, the servant comes out and sees the army, this physical army all around the city. There's no escape. This is, this is, this is the last day. I'm dead. I'm a dead man. Dead man walking, we say. And Elijah's cool. Hey, don't worry. Lord, open his eyes. 
And Lord opened his eyes, and he saw hosts of angels between them and the army of the Syrians that were there, but he didn't know they were there. And then Elijah prayed a simple prayer, Lord, struck them with blindness. And the Lord did that. There's an unseen battle going on. And I've mentioned many times before, at least several times before here in this congregation, how many angels are here in this room right now? None? One? One for each of us? 10,000? We don't know because we can't see them. But my conviction is there's at least a dozen angels, if not 10,000. I mean, I really don't know, but I know there are angels here amongst us. If we're worshiping God like we've been doing, I know there are angels here, but we can't see them. They're not meant to be seen except when the assignment calls for them to be seen. In the New Testament, we have pictures of angels too. Remember when Zechariah was in the temple at the evening sacrifices and the angel came to him and said, you're going to have a son. He's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Remember that story. And then Gabriel comes to Mary and Joseph separately about the coming of the Messiah. uh, The angels came to the shepherds about the birth of the Messiah. And in Jesus' ministry, after his temptation, angels came and ministered to Jesus. When he was Gethsemane, angels came and ministered to him there. Uh, All through Jesus' ministry, he's casting out evil spirits, all during, we see in the gospel accounts. In the book of Acts, chapter 10, we see Peter in prison. He's in jail. He's shackled hands and feet. And this angel comes in and loosens the shackles and leads him out the door. Of course, it says that Peter thought he was having a dream or a vision. He didn't know it was real until he got out into the byways, into the highway, into the roads, and he realized, I have been awake. This is a real thing. So here's an angel ministered to uh, Peter there in Acts 10. And the best definition of an angel is in Hebrews 1.14. And the writer of Hebrews says that angels are ministering spirits to the saints. Angels are ministering spirits to you and me. That's their main job, it seems, is to minister to us. What that means, I don't know, but that's what they do. Jesus and all the New Testament speaks of a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom which Satan is the ruler, a kingdom of demons, fallen angels. Talk about a cosmic battle behind the visible scenes. We just don't know. We just don't know unless it's open to us. So I want you to remember this, this uh, passage from 2 Kings 6 about this, these, uh, this, this chariots of fire around Elijah and his, and his servant. But also listen to this in the last book, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 and 9. John writes from his vision, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the accuser, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Wow. All kinds of things going on. Ephesians 6, Paul says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
See, there is a spiritual battle going on, but we have a place in it. I think Paul wants us to understand we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Those people we think are our enemies who are full of the devil, we might say, <laughs> uh, I'll talk about that in just a minute, they're not our real enemy. There's an enemy behind those people, behind the flesh and blood that we wrestle against. Now, I don't understand, and many scholars talk about this, what are rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers, different translations, but apparently these are a hierarchy of, of evil beings, of demons. And I don't understand that exactly, but these are types of, of evil beings, of, of demons that are at war with us. Now, we can't go back, can we, Joey, to the other screen? Okay. There we go. Thank you. The other one Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, okay, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. Part of that is praying. But we are not fighting against the flesh. We think it's the flesh. Now, hang with me just for a second. Um, as we see in Scripture, even from Genesis chapter 3, when, when the serpent comes into the garden, that's a spiritual battle going on. Uh, there's been a spiritual battle going on ever since. And sometimes it's more obvious than others. Now, I don't have to say this, but there's a spiritual battle going on in our country right now. A spiritual battle going on in our world right now, but I think it's become more and more evident today. I think the, fortness, the, the, the forces of darkness and the forces of light are becoming more and more apparent publicly. Those forces have been there all along, but I think because of what's happening, let's just take our country, our culture, for example. There, there's things going on, and things are being revealed. I think in many ways, God is, lowering, is, is raising the, the curtain a little bit, or breaking the curtain open a little bit, so we can see what's going on. There, there's, some, there's some things. There, there's a lady arrested just this last week or so, who's being charged with soliciting of, of young women, young girls for her male companion. And, but that's not, that's what she's being charged with. But so much more behind her are securing children for sexual pleasures. And some of these children and some of the higher-ups are involved in satanic child sacrifices, blood sacrifices. Uh, the, the public is beginning to see more and more of this. And more and more of this is going to come to light in the coming months, in coming years. Do you remember a couple of years ago when Anthony Weiner was arrested by the FBI? Well, I guess the New York Police Department. And they, they got his laptop. And I heard that, of course, they looked at the laptop, and these hardened New York City cops were sickened by what they saw on that. I don't know what they mean by it. Uh, I can only guess. But if they're sickened by it, it takes a lot to get you sick as a police officer. It takes a lot. You've seen it. But these men were sickened. And, I, and that hasn't come out yet, but, but that stuff is there. And eventually, that kind of stuff is going to be revealed. Now, our enemy is not Anthony Weiner. It's not this lady has been arrested. As evil as they are, their evil actions, there's something behind that. There's an evil force behind that. And I think behind that evil force, not everyone who is involved in what we call the deep state today they may be all evil or compromised, but there are handlers behind them. Some might call some of those Illuminati, perhaps, or some other deep state people. And there are some families that have been, been pointed out as kind of leading. But behind all this are some people at the very top who are doing child sacrifice and satanic rituals. 
This is becoming more and more knowledge. Years ago, people said that, but I don't believe that. But the evidence is getting more and more overwhelming. But see, behind that, friends, is Satan himself, Lucifer. Now, that's the main enemy, is Lucifer, is Satan. But he has millions of minions from the top all the way down to the local guy who's doing the, the rioting in, in Seattle or whatever. These, these uh, peons, these minions. We are in a cosmic battle. We always have been in a cosmic battle. But it's intensifying right now. And the reason why, I think, is that because the light is being shown. And when light shines, darkness hides. When light shines, darkness gets backed in a corner. And I think they're saying, oh, no holes barred. We're going for the juggler now because we have no choice. If we don't, we're doomed. Remember when Jesus cast out the, the legion of demons from the man? And the angel, the, the demons were, they, they needed the body. They didn't like the idea of just being cast into the abyss. They didn't want the abyss. It says, oh, 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 there's some, lots of pigs there. Cast us into the pigs. They, they were made known. They were, light was shining on them. They had to do something. Had to do something with the pigs. The pigs went crazy. You know that story. And they went and drowned. And whether the demons went after that, I don't know. The demons didn't get drowned. But friends, there is a cosmic battle going on now. Child sex trafficking, satanic rituals with children, other things. You're going to hear more and more stuff in the coming weeks and coming months. Be prepared. When this happens, say, well, Randy said that. What are our weapons? What our weapons are the spiritual armor, Ephesians 6. And especially verse 18, he talks about prayer. We're to put on different parts of the armor, and that's another sermon in itself. And you can read that, and you know, most of you know that already. But the main part of our weapon is prayer. To pray and pray and pray. In fact, Daniel reminds us how important prayer is in the battle. Elisha did that. He, he prayed to God, open my servant's eyes. And then he just prayed simply, blind the enemy. Prayer is so important. Paul talks about how important prayer is. Jesus shows us how important prayer is. He spent time with the Father in Gethsemane. He agonized over prayer about what was going to happen the next day or so. Prayer is a powerful tool by which to fool Satan's schemes and destroy his handiwork. Friends, I hope you're praying about our country and about our world. What's happening is not just here, but around the world. But let me just help you, encourage you to ratchet up your prayer life a little bit on what's happening right now. Prayer is not to be our last resort, but our first choice and strategy in the battle. Now, here's an interesting question. If you look with me, in verse 12, I think it's verse 12, um, yes, verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day you have set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God. Your words have been heard, and I've come because of your words. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to hell, for I was left there with the king of Persia. So Daniel prayed for 21 days, but the angel was sent on the first day, but didn't arrive until the 21st day because he was hindered by this prince. So here's the question. Here, here's an interesting question I want you to think about. 
What might have happened if Daniel had given up during the 21 days of prayer? What if he had quit praying on the 14th day? Or if he quit praying on the 15th day? Or the 16th day? Would the angel have arrived with his answer? Uh, I'm not sure I know that. The Bible doesn't say, but the implication is maybe not. Jesus taught that we should always pray and not give up. Not because God is not is hard of hearing. Not because God requires us to be to pester him into answering our request. Not because God doesn't want to answer us. No, Jesus taught us always pray and not give up because when we pray, listen, when we pray, our prayers carry weight. Now listen to this. Every time you and I pray, we unleash more and more power from the throne of God. Let me say that one more time. Every time you and I pray, we unleash more and more power from the throne of God. Again, I don't understand why God has chosen this, but he has chosen to work through the prayers of his saints. You and me. Are you praying for someone in your family who's not a Christian, that they become a Christian? Do you pray for your friends and their daily struggles? Do you have difficulty with someone in your life you need to pray about, pray for? Do you pray the headlines of world events? Let me talk about the headlines of world events. Um, because of, of the media, it used to be newspaper and radio and TV, it's now internet stuff, they have to sensationalize things, and that's usually bad news. We're always getting bad news and bad news and bad news to discourage us. But I want you to pray beyond the headlines because God's at work behind those headlines. And when God's at work, that usually means he's working through his church. Something's happening behind the headlines you don't know a thing about. With the riots and the commotion in Seattle, I'm just picking up bits and pieces now of what the church is doing behind the scenes during that same time. I've mentioned this, this resource before. I want to mention it again. Breaking Christian News. Check it on the internet. Breaking Christian News. We get a daily list of, of articles of what God is doing through the church, and it's so encouraging. You won't hear in the media. But things are happening in Seattle and in Africa and in China and so forth. God is at work. So pray behind the headlines. Every prayer you lift up to God's throne brings God's power to bear on difficult people and difficult situations. You see, friends, prayer is not a passive act on our part. Prayer is an aggressive, active ministry. God is using your prayer to do his work in the world. Again, somehow, God has ordained to use our prayers in the cosmic battle. Through Daniel's and our prayers, God begins to bring help to his people. Daniel prayed and angels went to war. Wow. What happens when we pray? I don't fully understand it. But when we pray, I guess angels go to war too. Be a Daniel and pray and pray and pray. You will be engaged in a cosmic, unseen cosmic battle that has eternal consequences. Will you pray?
with me? Together? Let's pray now. Lord, I want to thank you for opening the curtain a little bit in the last few years for me in particular, but and what's happening in our country. And that us to see there is an unseen cosmic battle going on for the, the lives and souls of, of millions or billions of individuals here on the world. We know you're sovereign. We know you're in control of history. Know all this, none of this is taking you by surprise. But we thank you, Father, that you invited us to participate with you in this unseen cosmic battle through our prayers. Father, I pray that you help me become a better prayer. I pray better behind the headlines. And I pray for my family and for my community and for those difficult people that I might be around or other situations. Help me to be a more faithful servant of prayer. Father, thank you for Daniel and his example of prayer and how you ministered to him and gave him visions, I think, because he wanted to understand and he wanted to pray. Use us, Father. Help us to be on the front lines of this cosmic battle even today as we pray. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.